Well, if you're unhappy this morning, say amen. Some of you look unhappy. Now, those of you that are happy, say amen. Now, I've done that to you every time I've ever been in this pulpit. I said the first time you were unhappy, and you proved once again that nobody listens to preachers. If you are excited about being at the great church on the rock in Texarkana, say a hearty praise the Lord. Now, me too. I'll tell you, I, uh, this is one of my favorite churches in the entire country. Uh, you folks have stood with me in ministry for a number of years. Your pastor has been gracious in so many ways. Now, I've, I've, th this will be, I, I haven't stopped to add it up, but about the 10th or 11th or 12th time I've preached in the last eight days. And when this is over, I'm going to shut up for a week. My voice is, is very raspy, as you can tell. Uh, I've instructed the sound crew that if, I, if my mouth is moving and nothing's coming out, just click on the tape of the last service. I think I can finish, but it's, I am. In fact, let's just pause, and let's pray that God give the preacher liberty to preach, shall we? Father, it is my joy to be in this pulpit. Lord, I thank you for the legacy of the church, for its faith in moving forward when so many are pulling back. Father, I pray you bless and refresh Pastor John, Pastor Linnell, Lord, as, as they constantly give, may today be a day when they receive. Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us to uh, be Christ-honoring in everything we're doing, but especially in this worship hour, in Jesus' name. Would you stand in honor of God's Word? Um, I'm not going to take too much time. I, I, I took too much time the, the last two times I preached, last night and this morning, talking about my journey. But just let me suffice to say that in 2016, I felt like it was time to make a change, had an opportunity to minister in Washington, D.C., uh, we arranged to fly back and forth just like a member of Congress. A condo was provided for my wife and I right across the street from the Supreme Court, right where it all happens. And um, those were both the best of times and the worst of times. I found some of the sweetest, most godly Christians I've ever met in Washington, D.C. People called to go there, like Brother Dick, who lived just down the street. I've known him for 30 years now. He He was set up by by a church uh, 30 years ago to do nothing but intercede for the Supreme Court. So his condo is right across, as mine was, from the Supreme Court. Um, congressmen who were called to leave ministry, in some cases, and great jobs to minister as a member of the legislative branch. Uh, I found that a lot of my job was to encourage these men and ladies not to quit because there's so much swirling around in that city, and now it's not even safe. At the end of uh, the 2018 cycle, I not, for the first time in 30 years, sought to mobilize the church. I was busy teaching Bible studies in D.C. and the State Department, the World Bank, uh, the Pentagon. Uh, they were thrilling times. But the person who took my place uh, with Vision America uh, did not mobilize pastors effectively. And so, uh, we almost lost a sitting senator who is a pro-life, pro-family, uh, pro-Second uh, uh, Amendment rights, lose to a man who believed none of those things. In fact, he won by 1.6 percentage points. And boy, God slapped me and said, Scarborough, this is nice, but I called you to mobilize Christians to vote their values. 
So he moved back to Texas, and um, we've been engaged ever since. And then, as um, was shared with you just a moment ago by Brother Travis, we got this wonderful opportunity to be a national spokesperson for the Jonathan Project. I encourage you to go to their website, jonathanproject.org, and see all the incredible things that we're able to do because we have a funder who loves Jesus who's a multi-billionaire. That always helps. Amen? Would you listen carefully? I'm reading from Revelation chapter 12. If you have your Bible, go to the right cover and turn left, and you'll be in Revelation 12 real quickly. Um, I, I'm hoping, nope, they're stuck together again. I've been preaching with cough drops, and that means the pages are stuck. Um, uh, they didn't rip, so we're in good shape. I'm reading with verse from verse number 7. I'm reading from the NIV. You may have a different translation, but it'll be close. And there was a war in heaven. You're aware of that, aren't you? Well, listen to what he says. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And boy, did they ever. But he was not strong enough. Underline that in your Bible. He's fighting against you, but if you're connected to Jesus, he's not strong enough. The Bible says they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, and the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled down to the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. We call them demon spirits. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. And the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren has been cast down, and he accuses them before God day and night. You know what Satan's doing right now? Making an accusation of you. You remember Job in the Old Testament? The Bible says Satan was right there in a, in a heavenly council room. And he said, uh, and God looked at him and said, Have you considered my servant Job? He said, well, sure I have. And I can't touch him. You put a hedge around him, his person, around his household, his people, around his possessions, and finally, around his profession. What a comprehensive protection we have. When we walk with God, Satan can't touch you except God allowed. He allowed God, or God allowed Satan to touch Job for a season. And it was a horrific attack. And if you look at Job, you'll see what Satan's plans are for you. We often say God has a plan. And I, I'm, I'm still reading Scripture, by the way, so don't get impatient. And that's why I'm asking you to stand for a moment. The Bible says that God has a plan for our life. Did you know that? Are you aware that Satan has a plan for your life? Same verse tells you. The thief comes to steal. And right now he's trying to steal my words from you get you distracted, thinking about other things, especially you online uh, worshipers, because in a house back home, there's a lot of distraction. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, if you're saved, uh, he's already lost the opportunity to destroy you, but he can still take you out. If you take your eyes off Jesus, look at what he did to Job, and you'll find out what he'll do to you. Now, let's finish the verse. The Bible says, it says, Now, they overcame, verse 11, by the blood of the Lamb 
by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives even unto death. A decision to trust the blood, a declaration with their lips, and a dedication unto death. Did you know we could dismiss, and you've already had a great sermon? I mean, just think about what we just said. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the victory that is in Christ. And this is the victory that overcomes the whole world. Lord, anoint me again, I pray, as I reckon myself dead to flesh but alive unto you. And I choose now to exchange my life for yours. Lord, I pray that the folks who gather and those who are dispersed and watching online would be encouraged today that we have been with Jesus. Lord, help me not to do anything to detract. And this I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. I want all of you standing to pray this after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart this morning. Let's all pray aloud. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Say that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Beloved, we are going to look for a few moments at America with 2020 moral clarity. This is the year 2020. This is the year Satan finally believed he had enough power and strength in our country to take her down. He has hated this nation since it was founded, founded in the white hot fires of a revival. He, was, he, he, he has had a plan since the first day to bring freedom to an end. And I fear we may be a part of the terminal generation. It really hinges on what the church does. I'm here to tell you that no organized group outside the church can change the course of America's destiny. And it remains to be seen if the church will do it. Slide number one, if you will, guys. America is a special nation, but I want to take it a step further than that. We are, as Alexis de Tocqueville, we are called, he called us, the American Exceptional. The American exceptionalism is how he phrased it. He did that because, he said, in the early 1800s, a French historian who came to study this new country, he was amazed as he traveled around, as he looked at our factories and all of these various things that had cropped up out of nothing to make us already a power in the world. But he said this. He said it wasn't in the greatness of her factories or the power of her armies. He said what we discovered was America was great because her people were good. Went on to say if the people ever cease to be good, America will cease to be great. Well, we're living in that era. We have ceased in large measure to be good. We can't even come together on common issues among our leaders. Uh, there's a war for the soul of America, and I fear we could be the terminal generation. Uh, American exceptionalism, founded upon a phrase in our Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence, if you read it, you ought to read it often. But they declared, you know, if we're going to create a nation and break away from our mother country, then we have a duty to express to the nations of the world why we're doing this. The Declaration listed 28 grievances against King George. But in the very opening words, in the preamble, they made this incredible statement. 
We hold these truths to be self-evident. You know what Thomas Jefferson was trying to say when he expressed it in that manner? He said, any idiot can get it. Anybody can see this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Next slide. We're under attack, satanic attack, uh, the cancel culture. Merriam-Webster defines cancel culture as the following, the popular practice of withdrawing support or canceling public figures and companies. doesn't just have to be public figures. I guarantee if your child says the incorrect thing uh, on a Facebook post, they will be destroyed. By the media mob, and I mean by that the social media mob. We live in an age where people can hide behind the curtain of an anonymous post and destroy people. Next slide. Supreme Court's been canceling the will of, of the nation for centuries, not centuries, but decades. Uh, next slide. Supreme Court canceled prayer and Bible study. I was just a child when that happened. But there was barely a whimper from the church. And then the Supreme Court canceled the moral law and said, you cannot post the Ten Commandments. I've read that ruling. You know what they said? This is a paraphrase. If you post the Ten Commandments, chances are the children will read them. Oh, God forbid. And then they went on and said, and if they read them, they may venerate them. And that would be mixing church and state, which they'd already redefined in the prayer and Bible study rulings. This was when the Supreme Court decided, rather than us have a country as founded, based upon a tripartite government, three equal branches, because man's nature is sinful. By the way, when our founders won that war, they had to decide what kind of government they wanted to build. And so because they were biblically literate, many of, some of them even in, in the, um, that signed the Declaration of Independence were preachers. But they searched the Bible and they said, you know, man is sinful. You've got to find a way to check and balance that. And they read a passage in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22 that says, God is our lawgiver. So they thought, huh. Let's have a legislative branch under God. He goes on to say, God is our judge. Well, how about that? Let's have a judicial branch under God. And then finally, God is our king. We'll have an executive branch under God. The, first, the final phrase of that chapter says, God will save us. They had no mistake about that. They understood the only hope for that new nation was God. But they said, because man is sinful, we'll have an executive branch, we'll have a legislative branch, we'll have a judicial branch, and they can correct one another, and they design laws for that purpose. If a court goes off the reservation, we'll just remove the member of the court that ruled against the Constitution. We'll impeach them. Back in 2004, I had a donor that underwrote two national conferences 
in Washington, D.C. That's when I went up on the front page of the Washington Post. We brought together legislators and experts, and I, at that point, initiated a movement to start impeaching judges. You go back in our history, that wasn't uncommon. There haven't been a federal judge impeached now in decades. And they feel empowered that nobody can touch them. They literally, some of them think that they are God, as expressed by their rulings. Uh, our founders had a, built a tripartite government. You know, they said, if we're going to have government, we need to have wise people at every level. I mean, you can't just rule out of Washington. And so they looked over and they saw that passage where Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, who, by the way, was a black man, if you, have any, if you have any doubts about interracial marriage, understand God only looks at the heart, not the color of people's skin. And Moses himself was criticized for marrying a black woman. But obviously God was in favor of it. God honored it. I remember when my son, uh, who didn't get married until he was 30, he, he called me up on the phone. He said, Dad, I, I found the girl I'm going to marry. He said, sheepishly, not knowing how I was... I, I, well, I appreciated him being so honest with his father, but he said, Dad, she's Asian-American. What do you think? I said, well, son, I think your children will be very smart and good on the high bar. And we laughed together. We have the most beautiful children you've ever seen. Uh, his wife is 100% Chinese, but, boy, they have given us the most beautiful and smart grandchildren in the world. Trust me, I wouldn't lie to you. They're also, I mean, they're the standard in beauty. One's a boy and one's a girl. I'm not lying to you, but I lie to you. I might be a little bit prejudiced in that area. But here's the point. Jethro saw Moses trying to administrate two million people. He said, you can't do that. So he said, choose out some men who are smart enough to handle thousands. Men who cannot be bought. Men who are fair and honest in all their dealings. He said, Set up some to oversee thousands, some to oversee hundreds, some to oversee fifties, and some to oversee tens. And our founders took the principle and said, we'll have federal government, we'll have state government, county government, and local government. A biblically-based government. Um, where did we get tax exemption? Well, in the old world, uh, the king was the head of the church. And he picked and chose who would be the rulers in the church. And the church bowed because he paid their salaries. Well, they said, we're not having anything to do with that. So here's what we'll do. We'll let the people decide. And if you read Ezra chapter number 7, you'll read in the 7th chapter of Ezra where after having that great Nehemiah experience of rebuilding the walls, Ezra comes, they have a great revival. And in the book of Ezra it says, that the government will have no authority to impose taxes on the priest and the singers. Our founders said, hey, how about this? We'll let people support whatever preacher they want and contribute to whatever church they choose, and we'll just exempt that from their taxes. And that way, the people can choose who their religious leaders will be. Brilliant. Never thought of before. Uh all this talk now about socialism. Well, in the New Testament, and our founders knew the New Testament, there's that, there's that parable of the talents. You know, one man had five, the owner of the house 
five. One man had two. One man had one. The owner of the house went away, came back. The one with five now had ten. And he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm going to make you, and and Mark, he says, I'm going to make you a ruler over cities. The man who only had two talents, the amount wasn't the issue, he took that two talents, doubled it, and God gave him the same, or the owner gave him the same remarkable commendation. I'm going to make you a ruler over cities. But the one guy who had one, he took that one, he said, man, I, I better not take any chances. So he buried it. And he was so proud of himself, he didn't waste it on riotous living or harlotry. When the owner came back, he said, you gave me one, and here's one back. He said, you fool. You could have at least put this in the bank and drawn interest on it. So here's what he did. He took the one talent, gave it to the man who had ten. He said, man, I figure that guy uh, can make better use of it. And took that one man and threw him into prison with the most scathing remarks You'll find in the old te- in the New Testament. Now along comes the socialist. He looks at this situation, said, "Man, this ain't right. That guy's got ten. That guy's got one. Here's what we'll do: We'll take three from the ten, give it to the guy who has one. Uh, we'll take uh, two from the guy that has uh, four, and uh, give it to the guy who has one. Uh, we'll keep the rest, and they'll all have the same." Now I didn't sit down the way that I, there's a way in which that comes out right. I'm doing this by memory, you understand. But what they wind up with is the government ends up with about eight, and the, all three of these other guys, one who was industrious and worked hard, one who worked hard and was industrious, and one who did nothing. But they all get the same. You know what? God pronounced anathema on that, which is why Satan has tried to impose it on every nation he gets control of. And here he comes after America. Why work if all you, you know, the the first colony in the New World, they tried it for a year, and it completely bankrupted. Some of them starved to death because so they were going to divide the product. Everybody would work, put it all in a pile, divide it. And after one year, they said, this is not going to work, and they ended it. Uh, Next slide. I cannot preach this in a hurry. I try so hard. <laughs> Cancel people. Remember, Nicholas? The opportunity of a lifetime. You get to go to Washington, D.C. You haven't taken your children to that great city when all this craziness dies down. If it does, take them. I mean, I, I will say, living in Washington, D.C. those 18 months is something I will cherish for the rest of my life. It is a beautiful city if you don't go more than one block from the capital. When you get two blocks away, you risk your life. Um, it is a swamp. It was built, it was built in a swamp. Uh, I've sat down to feed squirrel, and out comes the nutra. That changed your life. I mean, it's a swamp. I was reading a book one day uh, at a, a local cemetery. I, I went there just to, in, in, you know, there's no place quieter than a cemetery. I was reading a book. Had the door open, heard something, and I, th- I thought it was probably a squirrel. I looked out, and it was a neutra on his hind legs about to get in the car with me. I don't know why I told you that story, but I thought maybe you might enjoy it. But here's, here's where I want to go with that story. Nicholas is in Washington. His eyes are this big around as any child. Having the time of his life. Then he committed the unpardonable sin. He bought a MAGA hat. 
There are vendors everywhere. They sell anything. He bought him a hat. Man, hot digs. You know, my, my folks like uh, President Trump. I'm going to buy me a hat. Um, then this Native American walks up. Press is following all of these pro-life kids because it's, a, it's the, the annual pro-life rally. So they're following around. And they see this kid mocking, making fun of the Native American. And they snap his picture. It goes worldwide in every major media market. And they destroy this kid so that he's not safe to walk the streets. Fortunately for Nicholas, somebody else had a camera. And it was a video camera. You know what they discovered? Nicholas was doing exactly as his parents raised him, showing respect to the Native American. The Native American was pounding a drum in his ears trying to provoke him, but he, never, he, never, he was never provoked. He filed lawsuits for defamation of character. Just a couple of weeks ago, the Washington Post settled their $250 million defamation, $250 million defamation lawsuit out of court. USA Today, Rolling Stone, NBC, ABC, you name it, they're all in the process of trying to come to a reasonable figure. Now, I can tell you a lot of things about Nicholas that he may not be good at later in life, but he'll never have any problem buying a house. But it illustrates how people can be destroyed. This is one of the great stories. Next slide. Now they're canceling our police. A billion dollars in New York, crime has exploded. Just 19 years ago, we were celebrating these same police officers for charging up the towers and losing their lives as others were running from the towers. Just 19 years ago. Now there's a mayor uh, who thinks he's God. $1 billion in New York, $150 million from Los Angeles and Austin. By the way, Austin, because of size and per capita, it's about the same cut as New York percentage. But, you know, it's not the amount. That's irrelevant. It's that police are not valued. You know, the reason men and women become police officers, knowing they risk their life every day, is because in the past it's been an honorable job. Uh, these are the men that, that, and women who, who want to be servants. I know there are some rogue cops. We need to get rid of the rogue cops. Power can make people who just want power, power crazy. I've met some policemen that like to bully people. We need to address the wrongs. What happened to George Floyd was absolutely abominable. But to cast a wide net over every police officer in the country? Are we insane? I mean, it's a thin blue line that keeps you safe at night. But now they're walking away by the thousands. And why shouldn't they? Love it up. About uh, three weeks ago in the middle of all this, my wife, man, I got to smelling uh, chocolate chip pound cake, and I nearly lost my mind. <laughs> I mean, I, I just go crazy. That's my favorite dessert. She knows it. I saw a knife, and I went over to cut that hot cake. She, she grabbed the knife and almost stabbed me. She said, that's for our county sheriff. Boy, it's hard for me to pass on that, but I thought, that's a good idea. 
Now she's cooking chocolate chip cookies, almost as good as chocolate chip. I think it's the chocolate chip I'm addicted to. But now she's cooking batches of cookies. Won't let me have one. That's for the police department. She carried them down and dropped them off, and all she said was, we love and pray for you. And I almost immediately was talking on the phone to the the, uh, county sheriff himself. I, I don't think I'll get a ticket in Nacogdoches County ever again. And all we did was say, I love you. I want to plant that in the minds of many of you. You need to find the police officers in this church and make sure you they know that they're valued. And let your local law enforcement know they're valued because they put their lives on the lines for us. But in this effort to destroy America, they're trying to remove anything that would restrain evil. Next slide. Now they're canceling federal properties. That's any night in the last hundred in Portland. Next slide. They're canceling our monuments. Better put, they're canceling our history. Let me tell you something, folks. Those monuments, every single monument in, in the entire country is dedicated to somebody that was flawed. It's the only kind of men and women there are. But the wise man walks up because God told us, you know, when they crossed the Jordan River, he said, go out there and get some stones and build those stones. And he said, tell your children the story. Those, those monuments give you an opportunity to tell your children a story. And if the man had, had slaves, tell him he had slaves. He was wrong. And if the man didn't have slaves, commend him. But tell their stories. But you see, a cardinal principle of Marxism is divorce their people from their, from their culture and their history and create such fear that they'll bow down and do whatever it takes to end the fear. And that's what's happening in America. This is a Marxist attempt to take over the freest nation the world has ever known. Next slide. Cancel small business. Let me ask you this. By the way, uh, we're going to come up in a moment on a slide that has the divine right of kings. Is it the next uh, how far down is it? Let's go ahead and throw it up right now. The divine right of kings. But be ready to come back to that. The first great awakening this country experienced happened in the in the mid 1700s, when George Whitfield, who wouldn't, wasn't allowed to preach in the organized church because he preached conversion theology, not you know get baptized and you're a Christian, but you got to meet Jesus. So the pastors, many of them, wouldn't have anything to do with him. So he just went out in the pastors and started preaching. Preached to crowds as high as 45,000. We know that because Ben Franklin, who was a deist, was just, he was a scientist. He said, how in the world can a man just speak and that many people hear him? And we know the numbers are accurate because Ben Franklin, while he was preaching, who became close friends with George Whitfield, I hope he met Jesus, but he would count across uh, the, row, the front row, find out how many people were in it, then walk back backwards until he could no longer audibly hear his voice, and then he would allow 18 inches per person, and after the service he would say, hey, George, you preached to 37,596 people. That's how we know. And hundreds were saved. So many were saved during that great awakening that the bars closed down. Nobody would go. But it also stilled and forged the steel and the spine of farmers and merchants to take on the number one power in all of the world at the time, 
because they did not believe that kings were sinless. And they took King George on, who just would give an edict, and they had to obey it. Divine right of kings. The clergy appointed by the kings taught that doctrine. Brainwashed the people to believe in, well, you may not like it, but the king spoke, that's the law. He speaks for God. That new world, they didn't buy that. And the first great awakening brought an end to the divine right of kings. And we have lived in freedom since until we moved into the era of the divine right of governors and mayors who are picking and choosing winners and losers. And they're saying to the small business, you're not allowed to operate, but Walmart can operate. Uh, Amazon, their profits are exploding. You know who their God is? Money. You know which nation their allegiance is committed to? Whichever nation gives them the cheapest labor. Right now it's China. They could care less about what, what you value as a nation. It's the small businessmen that are being destroyed. They're the ones that tithe the local churches. They're the ones that give to every charity that comes by. They're the ones that employ uh, thousands and thousands of people. They're the ones that can least afford to be shut down for months. And many of them now are being closed for good. They're the ones that coach the Little League and buy the uniforms. And now we're living in an era where we just sheepishly sit back and say, well, okay, that's too bad. While the mega corporations who have no, no allegiance to America whatsoever are flourishing and that's by the divine right of mayors and governors who are making those decisions. Next slide. Canceling families. Isn't it interesting, 27, in 2015, when Obergefell passed, that they lit up the White House in the color of the rainbow? You know, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. You know, the rainbow was a promise that God would never judge the world by water again. But it was a reminder that he judged the world. And here these radical homosexuals and homosexualist judges are celebrating a picture of their own judgment. Next slide. Next slide. Canceling free speech. We've made that point. Nicholas was a good example. But let a college student say something that's not politically correct. See what happens to them. Let you say something. Write a letter to the editor that goes against the grain and see what they do to you. That's why conservatives, are, we're just shutting up. We're so cowed in fear, we dare not speak. And if we don't speak, we lose. We need more Nicholas Sandmans. What about you at the water cooler where you work or in the grocery store line? Are you standing for what you believe in? Are you keeping your mouth shut because you want to be canceled? Next slide. They're canceling churches. Isn't it interesting when they burn down buildings, they find churches? Look at the next slide. They're canceling religion. You see that fire? Now, it's obvious. They're burning a flag. That's the United States flag being burned by a stack of Bibles. That's what ignited that flame. So here's what they're saying and not even knowing it. We destroy and reject the truth, and that's the end of liberty. Next slide. 
Here's what they want. Faceless, nameless people who just do what they're told. And if they don't, then God help them. Next slide. Canceling life, we've been doing that now for decades. Now 62 plus million are dead. A governor, a, a medical doctor who was elected governor of Virginia went so far as to say after he was called wearing blackface but survived it because he was a liberal, that's okay. Anybody, uh, in the first place, something that we did 50 years ago, uh, can we get a rest on that? But if it had been a conservative, it had been destroyed. But here's the thing that you need to hear. This medical doctor had the audacity to say that even after birth, if the parents don't like what they see, they can let it starve to death. Next slide. Canceling liberty. Next slide. Canceling the pursuit of happiness. The ultimate expression of the pursuit of happiness was the American dream to own your own place. Now, if you go back to the to to Europe where the founders came from, you couldn't own your own house unless you were born in a certain family. You were a peasant, assigned there forever, no hope of ever changing unless some king chose you. But in this new world, anybody with a mind to work could aspire to own his own house. Next slide. We've lived through this before. You know what brought us through the 60s? In the first place, the church had respect, and there were people speaking out. And in the second place, there was the Jesus Movement revival, and many of the radicals were converted. Next slide. The next slide. The second great awakening ended slavery. You know, when those founders established this country, in order to form a union, they made a tragic compromise. And to every black citizen in this room, uh, we are all heartbroken that they did that. But against the wishes of Benjamin Franklin and John Adams and a host of others who were very outspoken about it, they said, we've got to, we've got to keep those southern states on our team or we can't fight a battle. So they made a compromise. We, we'll take care of it later. But they didn't take care of it later until there was a sweeping revival led by an a, an attorney turned evangelist. You talk about miraculous. An attorney becomes a revivalist. Thank God for there are many godly attorneys in this country fighting for pastors right now pro bono because they love the country. But this one attorney became an evangelist. Charles Finney literally saw revival up and down the seaboard and saw thousands converted. He preached against slavery, and he gave birth to the underground movement where they started, Christians started helping uh, Runaway slaves escaped to the north into Canada. Many of them sacrificing their life. It finally resulted in a war in which 600,000 white people died, the majority of those deaths in the north. But finally, because of a revival, an awakening, slavery came to an end. But we didn't get it right yet. We're still not getting it right. So I'm going to tell you how to get it right. You're looking at a former racist. I grew up in high school that integrated, and I didn't have a problem with that. But when I was 18 years old, I signed a scholarship to play football in college, a lifelong dream come true. I was a deep snapper, an offensive center. 
which means using the right hand to throw a pass between your legs while somebody's beating on your head. That's why I say, huh, a lot. Right after signing that scholarship, I was out parking with my girlfriend. I'm not bragging about that. Everybody said, if you do that, you could get jumped. Well, I did that, and I got jumped. We were behind a row of houses in a cow pasture. I opened the gate, came into that cow pasture. A lot of kids did it. I even saw the car uh, and thought it was just other parkers uh, come inside the gate. Didn't pay attention to it until our car started rocking. Not from us. It was just rocking. Somebody was on the right hand and somebody was on the left hand. The right-hand door and that little two-door uh, Mustang didn't open, but my door did. And now I'm looking at five or six or seven black faces, and one's got a knife. And they were demanding that I open the door for the girl. And every time I said anything, he popped me with that knife, cut me several times. At one point in terror, I reached over for the door lock, and she screamed. I realized, no, I can't do that. So I made it clear, you're going to have to kill me to get this girl. I'm not a real brave guy, but sometimes you have to do what you got to do. Uh, they were so frightened that somebody might hear them, which would have never happened. They were young guys. that They finally demanded all of our money. By this time, they had the keys. They threw them out in the weeds. They opened the, 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 the hood, pulled all the wires, disabled the car, demanded my watch, my rings, my, my billfold, her purse. We just gave it all to them. And then he said, I'm going to cut your throat, white boy, and I have no doubt he would do it. He took a swing at my face, and I caught it with this hand, the back of this hand, the hand that would snap deep snaps in college. He cut every liter, every ligament, sliced it all the way to the bone, and I began to bleed profusely. When they were gone and we felt it was safe, we got out of the car. I wrapped up a shirt around my, my, my hand to try to uh, catch the blood. We went up to those houses. And we're at the back door. We're at the back door of the houses at ten o'clock at night. Nobody would open the door. Finally, somebody looked through a curtain, saw the blood, and opened the door. Got us to an emergency room, and I sat there as they 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 took instruments and reached up into my arm to pull the ligaments back down while they were giving me blood so I wouldn't die. And I determined that day that that was every black person that ever lived. And I hated them. I didn't think for months I'd ever play football in college. But by God's grace and a whole lot of work, I got the use of that hand back. And my freshman year, I made the traveling squad. My sophomore year and junior year, I started, and that's when God called me to preach. But I went to college hating the blacks because I judged them all based on the actions of a handful. But then I became a part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, part-time youth director at First Baptist Church. I got a lot of abuse for being an outspoken Christian in an athletic dorm. They don't call it an animal house for nothing. But you know what? One person came to my defense, Sammy Carlton, a black tackle, defensive tackle. If you know anything about football, that's where you put the tough guy. Sammy Carlton was a massive muscle. And he made it clear to the other athletes, black and white, you talk about Rick, you're talking about my friend. I grew to love Sammy. We were friends till he died of cancer at the early age of 50. Good football coach, a greater person. 
God transformed my life to realize you don't judge a race upon what you know of a limited number, but you address each person as individuals, not black, white, or brown. You understand if you ever go to a burns, uh, a burn center, that everybody that's burned is pink, because under red skin and black skin and Anglo skin, we're all pink. The color of humanity is pink. God doesn't look at the outer man but the heart. And I'm here to announce to you the only hope for all the racial division in our country is Jesus. And the only, the only institution on this earth to advance that principle is the church. And if we fail to address the issues that remain, then we fail as a church. We need to acknowledge that, we, that God assesses every man and every woman based upon their heart. I'm not responsible for the sins of others. I'm responsible for my sin. And you're responsible for your sin. Civil war was fought in slavery, but the residue of racism continues, and it will until there's a third great awakening. Go to the third or last slide, and I'll finish. Every follower of Christ, if we're going to have a third-rate awakening, is going to have to become a prayer warrior. We've got to quit talking and start doing. Secondly, we need to be soul winners. Are you leading people to Jesus? And third, this may seem out of place, a registered voter. What does that have to do with things spiritual? We were given a free nation, and the nation depends upon citizens interacting. The truth is right now that 75% of those who claim to be born again don't vote on election day in a presidential election. Half of them aren't even registered. You can't vote if you're not registered. It is a sin for you not to vote. Oh, really? What's the verse for that? He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is a what? If you're not registered, this church has made it easy. Get registered before you leave here today. I don't care how long it takes you, but you can't vote if you're not registered. And on the fifth day of October, registration ends. Next slide. Two other points. You need to vote for life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. There's your voter's guide. Well, I don't know which one that is. Ask me, I'll tell you. Finally, be an advocate for America. Don't be ashamed. I'm telling you, America is being so disparaged by so many people, but there's got to be Christians who stand up and say, I am, what a great country. What a privilege to live here. Millions of people are doing anything they can to get here because it's the last place of freedom on the earth. Last slide. That's the best words you can hear on Sunday morning when it's lunch, isn't it? Read it with me. America is worth saving. Read the next one. Christians are the key. Now, let me read the last one. You are essential. You are the ultimate essential, which is why so many are trying to push us over to the side. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, pray? In a moment, I'm going to give a very general invitation, but with a specific request. If you agree that America is worth saving, if you agree that in order for her to survive, you and I are going to have to become soul winners, prayer warriors, voters, outspoken advocates, if you agree with what I put up there, 
then I want you right now to quietly and reverently get up to your feet and come down to this altar because I'm going to pray over you. Uh, we have less than three months before the most important election in our lifetime. It's going to determine whether or not this country remains free or not. So if you're willing to say, I agree that I'm essential, I'm going to do what I can, where I can, when I can, as often as I can to save our country. I will dedicate myself to being a prayer warrior. I will be an advocate for our free country. I'm going to vote for the candidate of life and liberty. Step on up here tight. There's a lot of people in the house. So come on down close. Yeah, please do. I'm not going to preach hard anymore, so I won't slobber on you, I promise. Time for anybody else that needs to. Now listen, folks. I'm going to ask you to do something out of the ordinary. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you. I'll, and you'll, I'll, I'll interrupt you. I'm going to start that. But what I want you to do is, while you're standing here, I want you to talk to Jesus about what it was in this message that pricked your heart. I want you to pray and talk to the Lord about your role in saving this country, what you're willing to do. I want to have a little talk with Jesus. Here's the different part. I want you to do it out loud, not loud, loud, softly, so that you don't distract your neighbors. And you're not to, I don't want you to listen to your neighbors, but I'll tell you what, last service we did this, and it was, it was like God. Had, I mean, it was like, it was like angel wings as we heard so many people pray. And I can pray for you, and I'm going to pray with you, but I won't say all the right things you need. So I want you to take about two minutes and just respond to this message before the Lord. Would you begin right now and pray softly but out loud? up an army of believers over the next two months and Lord steal our spine as you did our founders and forefathers Lord help us not to be ashamed stand firm just like that kid did that you so wonderfully vindicated Lord I know that if we hide in the shadows you'll never come to our aid but if we stand up we take the risk we'll find the reward Lord, I pray especially for small business owners, for employees that have lost their jobs. Lord, this is a, a needy time in our life and our country. But you can reverse all of that in a moment. You can return that which the canker worm has stolen. If your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, you promise to hear from heaven give our sin and heal our land. Oh, how we can heal. I want all of you now to pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, I surrender all to you. 
make me a champion. Make me a leader in my sphere of influence. I, I repent of being quiet. I repent of the fear that often paralyzes me. Help me to fall so in love with you that no matter what the cost, I stand. For perfect love cast out fear. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Make me wise to know when to speak and when not to speak. Lord, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. Travis, you coming. Mike, you coming. Jesus. Amen. Just before you go back to your seats, uh, we'll take a special offering. If you just like to bless Rick, and you can just write Rick on there, Dr. Rick. There'll be a Bible up here. There's the debit machines and the offering envelopes, and, and we'll get that to him. We'll have some altar team here that'll pray with you. But the one last question, are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? That slide said America's worth saving. God says you're worth saving. Some of you need to be saved from your sins, saved from yourself, saved from your habits, and there's power here to do that. And sometimes you think, well, I'll, i got to get right to get God. No, you got to get God to get right, and this is the place to do it. And so if you're not right with God, if you're not 100% sure you'd go to heaven, just head over to that cross, and there'll be somebody there to meet you with you and pray with you because it's about having a personal relationship with God, giving God permission to come into your heart. So don't leave here without knowing where you spend eternity because, again, God loves you has a plan for your life. So as you're making your way back to sing, seats, we'll sing one more time through. Uh, you're welcome to dismiss yourself. We'll have an altar team up here willing to pray for you. God bless you. Feel free to be dismissed whenever you like. And now we just pray that you have a blessed day today.